The Starbucks Pistachio Latte will transport you to your happy place. The comforting flavor of pistachio, warm espresso and milk, all with a brown buttery topping. Make today a good day. Order ahead on the Starbucks app. Hey, this is Peter Dankelson from Pete's Diary, and you're listening to Jay Scott on the Hook Rocks Podcast. Let's go wherever you want to go. Don't ever take me for granted. The world is crazy, but we will never sing. So gently we sever the chain. Whatever you are, I'll always be true. Everybody, what's going on? What's happening? It's Jay Scott. Once again, this is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Great network of music-related podcasts, something for everyone, a lot of different music genres. Uh, some of my friends that are also on the platform with us are Mistress Carrie out in Boston, Martin Popoff, the rock historian. I just had Ron and Esty, the co-host of the Hanging and Banging uh, podcast with Vinny Apice and Carmen Apice. And shout out Loudcast, the number one rated KISS podcast with Tom and Zeus, as well as Baco and Corbus and Fire. We also um, have the Real Me podcast with Aaron Alden, the host. It's the Who-related Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend-sponsored Teen Cancer America charity. They do a podcast, uh, The Real Me, where it tells the inspiring stories of young adults and kids who are making music while getting cancer treatment. So check out their stories on Pantheon Podcast as well. You can follow them on Twitter at Pantheon Pods, as well as Facebook, as well, PantheonPodcast.com. You can follow The Hook Rocks wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple, whatever platform you listen to, we are available. You can follow us on Twitter at The Hook Rocks, as well as Facebook. Don't forget to check out some of our more recent episodes. We've done some great episodes lately. We started the year off with our year-end celebration of 2021, talking 160 new albums. We rated our top 30, so almost six hours of conversation, two parts, and If you haven't uh, listened to it yet, we feature legacy artists, emerging rock bands, and unknowns as well. You can also check out my interview with Scott Gorham from Thin Lizzy. Uh, The Warning, the band from Mexico, ready to jump out of the stratosphere with their latest EP, Mayday. Some great new music spotlights with the Georgia Thunderbolts, Joyous Wolf, and South of Eden, as well as our recent exclusive premiere of Goodbye June's new album, See where the night goes. We had all three members on playing some music clips. So check out that too as well. We've got a great new music spotlight for you again tonight. It's with a band from South Carolina. The band is Seven Year Witch and the guest is lead vocalist Aaron Langford. What's going on, Aaron? How are you tonight? Pretty good. Pretty good. Staying busy. It's always a grind. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a good thing too as well. Staying busy is always the key. Keep it moving. And uh, keep her busy, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. 
Well, I, I appreciate you doing this. Thanks for uh, for coming on the New Music Spotlight. Um, gosh, we've done close to 150 New Music Spotlights over the two and a half years and always enjoy talking with new bands and showcasing them for people that may not know of them. Um, there's a great emerging rock scene happening right now, not just in the United States, but globally. And happy to have you on. Happy to talk to you about the band and, uh, you know, the influence of where you came from. Yeah, totally. Yeah, we, um, uh, like I said, we got started uh, in 2013. Um, me, Seth, and Spencer, that's the drummer and bassist, we, uh, we went to high school together. And uh, they, they had been in bands and in marching band. They're both percussionists. And I grew up singing classical opera. And uh, when, uh, when uh, our senior year of high school, they asked if I wanted to come jam one day because they, they knew I could sing. And I was like, well, this is very different from what I usually do. But came in, started jamming and just fell in love. But we all knew exactly what we wanted to do. It was like a, you know, like a light bulb went off. And we we're like, we're in this till the, till the bitter end if it comes to it. So uh, from there, we just started just, just hustling, trying to play as many shows as possible, trying to work on our brand and just trying to, to I guess, find our sound, as they say. And we've uh, it's been, well, almost, well, it's been eight, nine years now. And um, we've uh, been using that time to hone our skills and we've made some cool connections, gotten out on the road a lot with some bigger bands like Buck Cherry and Adelita's Way. Um and, you know, got a good booking agent. We're with TKO and some good management. And we're just trying to conquer the world. <laughs> That's awesome, man. It's it's um, it's a lot to get into. We certainly will do that. Uh, but we always start the same way we always do every time we have a first-time guest with the same first okay. question. And that is basically what we're about here at The Hook Rocks. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every yeah. rock band has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So for me personally, uh, it was the first song I ever heard by Chris Cornell, which was, um, it was, uh, uh, burden in my hand off the sound garden, uh, you know, sound garden, um, uh, the albums, I think it was a uh, fell on black days. Um, but that song, when I first heard Chris Cornell singing, I was like, Oh my God, that's, that dude is my idol immediately. And I know with the other boys, they're big fans of, of King Diamond and uh, Muse and the White Stripes. So, I mean, that's kind of where we all come from is uh, are, are those albums. I guess that's that's our that's our angle when it comes to music is, is all those artists combined. They really inspired us. That's an interesting combination when you think of it, you know, King yeah. Diamond and the White Stripes. And then, you know, your uh, first influence with Soundgarden, Chris Cornell, where did it go from there, you know, for you in terms of, you know, being influenced by other artists and wanting to get up on stage and perform and, and being a rock band? Well, from there, uh, I, I kind of, uh, I was actually a bit of a late bloomer as far as like discovering what I liked musically. Um, I was in my late teens before I really dove in um, to music and trying to, you know, find more artists that I really liked. And uh, Chris Cornell obviously was a huge influence as far as vocally. And I began to kind of dive in and find bands like Wolf Mother and uh, Rival Sons and bands like that who, who I really just grew to love. And kind of it, when, when applying those ins those inspirations to a live show and to our band, um, I guess it really gave me motivation to try to kind of try to try to write 
melodies that were as soaring as as those that just you know vocal melodies that just soared out into the into the the abyss and 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 trying to 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 really not just give people something pretty to listen to but also with bands like crowbot another inspiration give them something really entertaining to watch as well you know people they come to shows yeah to hear some of the music but they come to be entertained and that's that's what i try to do and that's what the other boys try to do as well so i think those influences really um worked to i think fuel that fire and, and guide us in that direction which is, i think we've done pretty well at this point when you think back of you know your music journey, you mentioned that you're a tra- you know classically trained opera uh, singer too as well, and that's also a different approach too in how you deliver melodies and how you deliver you know singing versus a, a, a pure rock singer, you know. And yeah. you know when you think of opera and you compare it to someone like a Bon Scott, you know, or or, uh, or Chris Cornell, you, you know, there's a different approach and. How are we able to merge that influence of that? That's a completely different end of the spectrum into, into rock music. Well, it was, there was definitely kind of a learning curve when I, when I made the transition into straight rock music. Uh, it was almost like trying to relearn how to sing again. It's, I mean, totally different techniques and all this other stuff. If you want to say, I mean, with opera, you're sitting there, you're not really moving a whole lot. It's all internal and, you know, it's all just open, you know, you know, notes the whole time. But with rock, it's way different. It's more about feeling to me, um, like kind of or the emotional aspect of it to me. And um, it's about being free. And, you know, you can use some of those. I can use some of those foundational um, techniques I learned with opera, you know, as far as like, you know, pushing for the diaphragm and stuff. But mostly, you know, with the stuff that we're playing, it's just kind of. It's kind of like uh, envisioning a character that would be the, the main character of the song that I'm singing and trying to try to portray how they would sing the song. So it's like if I'm singing a song about the guy that got cheated on, I'm I'm singing as the guy who got cheated on and he'd probably be upset and he might be hollering and gritty and, you know, hoarse or something like that. So I try to just kind of emulate that in in the song. And, um, you know, the training goes so far, but I mean, like I said, it's a totally different beast when I when I when we start singing rock music compared to classical. So there are some similarities, but basically, it's like started from the ground up. As far as writing style, was there a song or lyrics that you heard that connected with you that influenced you enough to say, "Hey, I want to do this. I'm, I'm going to be able to write a song that that connects to people in a similar fashion." Yeah, there was um. I can think of one prime example of that in one of our songs. I mean, there are always lyrics that inspire me, give me chills to this day. But I remember there, there's a song that we that we wrote called uh, "It Comes in Waves," and it's like a soft song. We don't we don't we're not generally known for our soft songs, but uh, this one uh, there there was a Chris Cornell song. Um, it was "Temple of the Dog," actually. Um, Say hello to heaven, and there's this line, uh, you know, something about uh, uh, you know sitting there looking at the pages of phrases of all the things we'll never do. He's singing about his friend passing away, his friend dying. And so I wrote kind of a song, not necessarily trying to write it as a sequel to that song, but it was just kind of like writing almost from that friend's perspective. It's a song about depression and, and um, maybe wanting to leave the life you're in, but like definitely uh, sometimes listening to other songs, I kind of get ideas from their lyrics to kind of build off of. And I think that, I mean, 
everyone needs inspiration. I mean, it's, it's hard to just come up with something completely from scratch on your own. It happens, but you know, you can use other people's works of art to inspire you to do something great as well. And that's kind of the way I look at it a lot of times. Coming from your background and into rock music, do you still feel that you're evolving because I mean, artists are always evolving, but you know, you mentioned that you were kind of a late bloomer to this and, you know, as your late teens, do you feel like, you know, you're still being, you know, you're still being influenced. You're still like kind of not even close to, to, to really knowing, you know, the depths of the music that you're performing. Yeah, totally. Uh, I mean, like this is, this is actually, I tell people all the time, I got really lucky at the jackpot. This is the first band I've ever been in. I was never in a band before this. All the other guys have been in bands their whole lives. And a lot of other musicians I meet have been in bands their whole lives. And they've had um, probably like way more experience and way more. Um, they've been, uh, what do you call it? Um, uh, thrown to the sharks a lot sooner than I was in some respects. So they gained a lot of experience in that ways. But I think, you know, there's it's, it never does anybody any good to close themselves off and think they've reached the peak of their of their um, of their talent or, you know, of their profession. Um, so I always love hearing new music and, and hearing other seeing other bands, even live bands that we play with who do something that just blows my mind. It's always a learning experience. And uh, I mean, seeing a band who, uh, you know, does something like they'll you know, maybe they shoot confetti out with the crowd or they, they do have some really cool call and response thing that just gives me ideas and. And uh, an inspiration to kind of want to do anything better. And it's almost a competitive thing. You know, if you if you don't if you uh, you know, you're not constantly trying to evolve and you're not constantly trying to learn and better yourself, uh, then you're going to fall behind. So we got to compete to stay to stay up there with the top dogs. So that's what we're constantly trying to do. And that's what I'm trying to do is uh, just keep learning. What about in terms of performing? You know, was there a concert that you went to that you saw, like you said, that blew your mind? It was like, man. That's totally what I want to do. Oh man. Uh let's see. The first I'd seen a few like a few musicians growing up and stuff, but no nobody that ever really like like blew me away. But as far as like the first band I saw that like where, where I was like, whoa, my world's turned upside down. Uh it was this band called Be at the Means. They're from Alabama. And um I mean and they're they don't technically get up there and do anything crazy, like no high-flying acrobatics or anything, but just seeing the way they delivered and the, just the attitude behind when they were playing, I like felt it. And I was like, oh my God, that was right when we started the band. And I was like, oh my God, I want to, I need to do that. I need to f- figure out how to incorporate that into our music. And um, so seeing seeing them, that was the first, you know, aha moment. Wow, I can, I, this, is, this is the direction we need to go in. Um, that was the first experience of that. And then, seeing a band called Crowbot, um, like I said, one of my um, influences. Dude, I swear, if you look up a video of them, they are wild on stage. I mean, just everybody's moving. There's just stuff going everywhere, and the, the music itself is amazing. I was like, holy shit, I got to step it up. So, uh, you know, that um, those two bands in particular really, really made me want to up my game and the other boys too they they feel the same way those two bands it was just just wow you mentioned rival sons yeah in the beginning of the conversation i've seen them a few times and jay buchanan uh is just you know incredible live i mean just you know you hear it on the album and then he absolutely just delivers um 
on stage. It's just absolutely tremendous. So yeah, I mean, you know, when you hear that, that performance that just takes you to another place, um, it really is something special. And I don't know if, I mean, I've seen other genres of music, but rock music live when it's, when it's done right and it's done good and it's done with a lot of feeling, um, just has that ability to transcend you, um, to like, where you're, you know, somewhere else while you're, while you're present for the show it has a, an awesome ability to do that. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, most rock music is, you know, is stripped down a lot compared to what a lot of pop and other hip hop, you know, uh, artists do live. I mean, no, I mean, not throwing any flack at them, you know, it's, it's a whole different ball game with that. But I think with rock music, a lot of times, you know, there, there's, um, you get the opportunity to be more raw and, and, and realistic. And I think that in turn can show a lot more emotion and show a lot more feeling that just sinks into the crowd. A lot of times, you know, if everything, if, you know, the stars align and everything's just right, that's what I live for. No, it's absolutely amazing. You're absolutely right. Um, So about the band, you guys, like I said, are from South Carolina. You mentioned that you went to high school, um, you know, with a couple of the guys where did it um when did it actually become something that like this is this is serious this is really what you want to do i mean you know playing you know after high school you probably have a lot of changing parts and think people coming in and out because commitment levels may be different than other people but you know when you really start to get on that path of like making music and this becoming what you want to do when did that uh, begin for you guys uh, you know, I don't, I don't think there was a certain moment where things just like, where we just sat down and we were like, okay, guys, this is, this is, this is our career. I, I think from that very first practice we had, we all just kind of jammed. Um, I think from that moment, it was all pretty serious. We were all like, okay, this, there's something to this. And, uh, but, you know, over the next couple of years, you know, we had a couple of lineup changes and, but a- after the first, you know, after the first time we, we changed the guitarists and we started, you know, being more serious and playing more frequently and seeing that we could go out and do our own tours and that people would pay to come see us and that we had support on social media. I think, I think it was kind of just the, the overwhelming support that we got as we were growing that kind of just let the fact that, Hey, this is a viable career option. This, you know, this is, this is something that can go somewhere. And this is something that we also love doing. I think the the support is what helped that fact sink in, sink into us. And so I think, it, I think it was a gradual, um, gradual decision over about three or four years. And then about that fourth year, we were like, okay, we need to, you know, we have all the support. We know there's something to this. Let's buckle down and really, really try to give it a shot. So that's when we started trying to, you know, submit inquiries with bigger bands and trying to find, try to find a booking agent and, you know, seek management, someone with connections that, you know, that were superior to ours. So we could, you know, take that next step. So I, I guess around the four year mark is when things finally sunk in for us. The latest single from you guys is Cyanide tremendous song uh love love the the uh the video um as well when you're uh creating and you're and you're thinking of a visual for the song is is that go along with the writing or does the visual come after that um with, with cyanide the the visual uh it definitely in this case it definitely was something that that 
sort of um, came to be after the song was basically written. Um, when I was writing the, the basic melody and the basic parts for it, uh, and I knew I kind of, you know, what was like, okay, cool, you know, two teens kill, kill the girl's dad and run away together, you know. Um, but it was actually, we were sitting down, we had just recorded our first, you know, rough demo of the song and uh Bo we were sitting there he said what if what if like we had it like everybody was clowns in the world and almost like that's the social norm and regular people are what are are what's being made fun of you know almost like a you know role reversal thing and I was like that's kind of cool and we kind of dove into that realized that it's oh it's a dystopian world and it's kind of a play on conformity showing how ridiculous it is and you know it, it it controls everything for better or for worse and um so that that one definitely molded after we kind of got the song down and we included the little love story into it afterwards but it's kind of a case-by-case sort of thing sometimes while i'm writing the song or you know while we're writing the song it, it just kind of it kind of creates its own little movie it's kind of just already there and um but if you look at our videos, it may not always be what you think. You know, it's, we have one in a skating rink and one in a convenience store. But um, they they sort of just kind of have a life of their own. When you think of the emerging rock scene that that is very becoming very prevalent more and more each year by each passing day. Uh, a few years ago, there was a question about the relevancy of rock music and that it had taken a backseat to a lot of different genres. But now when you look around and you see all these bands, these new bands, whether from the U.S., U.K. or wherever, there really is a, a, a an emerging scene that can no longer be denied. And, you know, for those that think that rock is dead, it's never going to die. For those that think that no good rock music has come after 1992, that's not true. We're starting to see that music connect with the youth. What are your thoughts right now with what's happening in rock music? I'm very happy. Like if I'm being honest, I wish it would happen faster, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I, I'm no real complaints. Uh, I, I like bands like Greta Van Fleet and Dirty Honey. Um, I mean, they're, they're really, really reaching out and kind of grabbing the use, I feel like. And that's a good thing, you know? Um, I mean, wh- whether or not you're a fan of them or not, if you have your own rock band, you have to appreciate the fact that they're, pulling a younger audience into it. And that's a hard thing to do because, you know, most people, most kids nowadays that hear rock music, like, Oh, that sounds like what my dad plays in his garage, you know? And, uh, but you know, the fact that we're getting young people involved and, you know, people my age and people younger than me is just, it's a good thing. We're bringing it back. And, um, we're constantly trying to do that too. It's, it's, it's kind of a struggle to try to gear yourself towards a certain demographic, especially when you're in a, uh, a rock band, you know, something that's kind of over time just been known as old people music, as they say. Uh, but we're trying to kind of fuel that movement to to bring rock back and to to make it a, a youthful a youthful scene again. And uh, while obviously not neglecting, you know, the the people who have been around for the whole thing. Um, so it's. It's a struggle, but I think I think it's a good thing. And I think it's something that's definitely happening. Rock's not going to die. I agree with you. And um, it's just a matter of time before it's back in the spotlight, I feel like. One of the cool things that I've noticed, and I've talked to a lot of bands about this, is the support people get from each other in terms of the new rock bands. 
you know, mm-hmm. the ones that are that are playing the clubs and playing the small venues, there does seem to be more of a supportive atmosphere than maybe there were in decades past um, with, you know, it's always going to be competitive and that should always mm-hmm. remain because that's what helps produce great music. But it does seem like people are looking out for each other and they're trying to help each other too at the same time. Do you feel that? Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, there's, there's always an, um, an aspect of competition between bands. I mean, we even have friends of ours that are in bands and, you know, it's always a little bit of, you know, non-spoken competition because I mean, that's part of what makes it fun, you know? Um, but I think a lot of that, a lot of the support has to do with, you know, the preview, the previous question about, um, you know, trying to bring rock and roll back to life. I think everybody realizes that it's not something that's going to, you know, happen from one band solely. So I think we all realize deep down that, you know, if this one band does well, you know, we're not going to get anywhere by dragging them down. They're just another, another, um, you know, beacon that's, that's, that's providing light for rock and roll. And, you know, if we can boost them up, you know, we can come up with them and, you know, it's, it's a team effort. And the more of us, the more of us that are able to get into the spotlight, the better and the the easier that that bridge is going to or that gap is going to be bridged. Um, and um, so I, I definitely think any chance we get to support another rock band, take it. If you're in a band, take that opportunity to, to clap for the other band when they did really well. You know, don't sit there with a sour look on your face and, you know, talk down to them or, you know, talk crap about them, you know, to other fans. It does absolutely nothing. We need to help each other. Absolutely. I, I think sometimes it gets lost on people that if one or two or three bands really become successful in a genre, what do record labels, what do radio stations, what does what do venues, what do companies want to have in their commercials? They all want to have what is popular. So if mm-hmm. a few bands start reaching those levels, everybody comes up with them because they're always looking for the next band that is like that yeah. band. So it, like you said, it benefits everybody when someone is doing well, because that means everyone's looking for that sound. Everyone's looking for that image or whatever is entailed with what they're looking for. I always find it counterproductive when, you know, other musicians bag on another musician, you know, or, or when, when fans or media build something up and then they try to tear it down almost immediately. It's like almost like self-sabotage. And I think rock is guilty of that more than anybody because rock yeah. fans, although they're very dedicated and very loyal, I'm, I consider myself, you know, one of them rock fans can be very, you know, snobbish and very judgmental on a band. Oh, this isn't good. I haven't listened to anything past this album or I haven't asked, listened to anything, but you know, since this, you know, and it's like, I always like it when the artist evolves. I always like it when the artist tries to stretch themselves. Not everyone's ACDC where you can play the same song and it still sounds kick ass, but artists need to evolve. And I always appreciate that when bands do that um, and artists do that because I think they need to, right? They, they need to Mm -hmm. feed into that, that artistic idea or that artistic journey. And if they keep doing the same thing, they get bored and um, you know, they're maybe not as inspired as they should be. So I always, yeah, I enjoy that. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Um, As far as you guys go, as you're developing and emerging, you know, we talked about the the new song Cyanide, which 
I think is a kick-ass song. Um, how do you guys push yourselves creatively? Uh, well, man, it's, it's, it's constantly, it's honestly a, a constant struggle. There are, uh, I, I can't completely speak for the other boys, but I mean, I know there are periods where I'll go months without being able to, to make anything that I think is worthwhile. And, and there's just nothing you can do, you know, just get the intense writer's block and you have this pressure to keep writing because, you know, you've got momentum and you got this fans, the support of fans. Um, but I, I think a lot of times, especially recently, we're, we're trying to, we've been trying to kind of, um, almost like you said, kind of evolve in, in a, in a way to where we're not writing the same song over and over again, because we've, we've written some songs that have done well. And, you know, there's definitely a formula to a lot of our songs that, you know, can even get predictable after a while. And we don't want that either. It's not even fun for us to write at that point. So we're always trying to do something and change up the formula, write something different. And, you know, a a weird little exercise that, that we found kind of works sometimes is, um, and it helps kind of helps you think outside the box is try to pretend that, you know, you're not writing a rock song, be like, okay, you know, we're going to write a rap song. We're going to write a country song. And uh, you just kind of create a little something that you think would be, you know, almost like satirically. And sometimes you get the best ideas out of just not taking it so seriously. And that's what I've learned. And that's what other boys have learned as well. Just sometimes take a step back and not think so critically of what you're working on and just realize that if you're not having fun, your song's not going to be fun. So that's that's something that's that we've definitely learned helps with that with that push and helping you think outside the box. And um, definitely all, as, as well as, you know, going and trying to experiencing new things and just trying to get outside of your comfort zone. That's always um, a great source of, of uh, inspiration. As far as finding your sound as as a, as the band, have you do you feel like you this is the sound of seven year witch or is that still evolving, too, as well? That's that's always been kind of a hard question to answer because um i mean if we go back and listen to the demos we made eight years ago it sounds nothing like what we what we do now and even going back three or four years ago it sounds very different but i think we're finally kind of narrowing down on what our general sound is um kind of like i was saying before it's something that is, that is always changing uh, you know our inspirations are always changing and um I think we're closer than ever to finding what that distinguishing factor that makes us seven year, Witch. like you turn on the rate, someone turns the radio and they're like, Oh, that's seven year, Witch right there. I know what it is. And, um, but it, it's kind of, it's a double-edged sword. You know, you want to be easily recognizable, but you don't want to be pigeonholed. And, uh, that's something I think that we're trying to do, but I, I think where we are right now, a lot of our songs for the moment, we'll kind of take on, the a similar form as as the ones that have been released recently until until we you know evolve some more when you think back you know when you think about you know developing your sound and developing you know the tone of seven year which what is your creative process you know you know to get to the song from writing demoing to actually putting the track down well a lot of times um we will, one of us will just kind of be sitting around. We'll be noodling on guitar. We all play a little bit of guitar 
and um, we'll kind of move around, find a cool little riff that we like, something that we think might have some promise, and we'll get the practice, get uh, get everybody together for practice, and we'll just kind of be like, hey, you know, Bo, can you like play this riff while Spencer kind of just kind of figures out something for the bass line, and Seth, you do what feels comfortable on drums, and then I'll sit there and kind of ad lib and mumble around some things and a lot of times the those practices those little jams where we just jam on a riff we get a lot of the cooler ideas for you know how to transition into a chorus or if we don't even have a chorus you know maybe Bo will see hear that riff and he'll put his own little stank on it and you know something cool will come up and it that's kind of a lot of times how it goes is someone will come up with a rough skeleton of something like the most bare bones thing possible bring it to the table and everybody puts their um their little touch on it because that's that's what seven year witch is you know like me individually i couldn't write a seven year witch song seth individually couldn't write a seven year witch song but it's us as a unit i think that 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 writes seven year witch songs and um you know sometimes it's uh it's a very sensitive thing to bring something that maybe you really like to the table and we get in there and we jam around with it for a while and it's just not working out and somebody's like well what if we change this and this it's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in but i think over the years we've learned to not take it so personally and uh and just realize that that's that's the process sometimes things just don't work and so we've thrown out probably a hundred times more songs than we have ever released or ever actually worked on and maybe one day we'll release all those as terrible b-sides we'll see Hmm. as far as this year 2022 coming out of 2021 what do you guys anticipate this year looking like we have really, really high hopes for this year. Um, obviously, the past two years have been a little awkward because of the, you know, because of COVID and a lot of the restrictions that are placed on venues and bands, and you know, a lot of the um, safety requirements. It pushes people away, unfortunately. Um, but this year, we've, I think, we've got a good team together. We've made some preparations to kind of springboard us onto getting onto more tours and trying to just stay busier and stay on the road as much as possible. And, you know, I mean, and to be completely honest, I mean, the, the, the plan is to try to stay on the road and sell more merch and drop as many singles and get our streams and our social media following up to where we can actually, you know, make a you know, significant living off of this and can quit our terrible day jobs. Uh, you know, <laughs> so, um, but, uh, so that that's the plan, and I, I can't reveal too much more about it because some of these things, while they're really cool, really cool opportunities, they're not all concrete yet. So um, fans just have to kind of stick around and pay attention to our social media to see what's about to happen. But I guarantee you there's some extremely cool things. You're going to be hearing a lot about Seven Year Witch over this next year. You're going to be hearing a lot. When you think of the opportunities that are going to be presenting themselves to you guys after what your band and a lot of other bands have been through over the last couple of years, how did that, if at all, affect your creativity, for, uh, affect the tone of the band, too, as well? I mean, as far as like the COVID stuff and yes. all the pandemic? Yeah. Uh, well, there was there was a long stretch, I think, in the 2021 or sorry, 2020, when everything first started really buckling down, that we went a significant amount of months without really any shows. I think we had three shows over a seven-month span, something like that. And so we all had to get back to, you know, working our jobs and, and you know, trying to pay our bills. And that was kind of 
kind of disheartening because, you know, we couldn't focus on our music as much as we wanted to. Um, so it, it definitely was a um, bit of a, what do they call it, a reality check. And uh, it was also a bit more motivation to really uh, push when things open back up. So if, if anything, I feel like while it knocked us down a couple pegs, it, it, it lit a fire under our asses to where when things open back up and, you know, they're starting to come back, we're, we're really hustling and grinding harder than ever to make this work. Um, Cause I mean, you, when you knock us down, we just come back swinging twice as hard. And, um, but it, on the plus side, it, it gave us a lot of time to write and to kind of go through some changes we were going to. We had a, a, another lineup change through the middle of all that which um, was kind of conveniently timed because we weren't playing any shows and we had plenty of time to practice. So it's, it's a blessing and a curse. For sure. For sure. I don't normally ask this question, but I have to uh, in this interview. How did your, how did the name seven year witch come to be? Cause it's such a unique name, right? All right. Okay. Okay. So um, when, uh, when I was a child, when I was about, six years old i wasn't even seven so seven's already out but anyway when i was a six-year-old child my mom took me to go see one of those mall santas you know and um anyway uh she sat me down on santa's lap i was like like fearing for my life i was afraid and uh my mom was sitting there talking to the lady trying to talking about the pricing of the photographs and i was sitting here on this old man's lap dressed as santa who smelled like a carton of cigarettes and uh you know he asked what do you want for christmas and i was just crying and uh eventually my mom turned away and this this old mall santa picked me up and like ran to the back room uh you know through the back and my mom didn't even notice like and i was like what's going on here like i stopped crying i was just like shocked he 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 takes me outside and uh he takes me to this truck and he doesn't tell me to get in or nothing he just he like he just sets me in the back of the truck in the in the bed and says, hold on for a minute. Just hold on. And he said, we're not going to go fast. And I was like, what are you talking about? And he starts driving off. And we, we go down. And I'm just like this little kid kind of freaked out. Didn't know where to go. And he drives me down this like dirt road. And uh, there's when we get to the dirt road, it's like right next to an interstate. There's a big billboard. And there's a bunch of like broken TVs everywhere, just like shot up to pieces. And there's this big building and uh, he says, here, come on inside. He said, you're going to like this. You're going to like this, I swear. And, and your mother like, has no idea this is happening, right? Well, I'm guessing she's figured out at this point. Um, okay. But uh, anyway, I, he said, he said, this is where my elves work. And I was like, what is going on? Like, as a kid, I was like, this is not Santa. This is some crazy shit. And uh, so he opens up the door. And there's like, there's like 10 other kids in this building. And they're all just chilling. And uh, anyway, um, like I sit there for a couple hours and the next thing I know, I hear sirens outside and the police come in. They bust down the door. The Santa guy's nowhere to be found. All these kids, none of them were like unhappy or anything. Uh, Like they come busting in. They take all of us. They just kind of take us back to our parents. I don't know. I guess it all happened within a day. All these kids went to the same spot. And uh, anyway, um, they get us back to our parents. and. uh, we decided to name the band Seven Year Witch. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's just a totally made up story. Uh, but uh, anyway, so I'm like, know. I'm like, this is like a Dateline episode. I'm like, what is going on with this with this true crime uh, episode here on the Hook Rocks? 
Yeah, no, no. So well, I, I can't actually tell you the the real uh, reason behind us naming it Seven Year Witch. I can't, not yet at least, but one day the truth will come out. But until then, it's a deep, dark secret and only only a handful of people know. So sorry. So I wonder, we'll have to do a follow-up interview in a couple of years. Maybe I'll let yes, you know. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. Is there any <laughs> part? Is there any part of that story you just told me that has any... Like a sliver of truth to it. Uh, well, I did cry on the mall Santa's lap, so that is true. All right, but yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like listening to tell this story. I'm like, dude, this is horrific. This is freaking crazy. Like, are you serious? Like, this uh, would be all be- over like news if that happened <laughs> today. It'd be like 24 seven wall to wall coverage if that happened today. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> that was good, man. You got me. I was like. This is the craziest band name story I have ever heard in my entire life. This is crazy. This beats the Keith Moon telling Jimmy Page that uh, the name, the new Yardbirds, are gonna is gonna go down like a like a like a Led Zeppelin. Oh yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, uh, if anybody asks you where we got the name, you got to go tell them. You got to say the same story, but you got to add something else onto it. It's like ad libs. You just got to add like just everybody keeps adding something. I'll add, I'll add a couple uh, pentagrams and candles in the yeah, in the, yeah, in the, in the warehouse. Go. There you go. You guys, you're all going to be sacrificed. <laughs> wow, that literally took me. I, I did not really expect that, but that was great. That was awesome. So thank you for that. Um, <laughs> I can just imagine my listeners going like, "What is happening? What what is going on? This is kidnapping. This is so you know, this is crazy." <laughs> so, but now did this happen? Obviously, this is before the opera classes, right? Of you getting kidnapped. Yeah, 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 totally. I was six years old. Crazy time, crazy time. What were your what was your parents' reaction to you wanting to do rock music instead of opera? Well, <laughs> well um I, I don't think anybody really completely saw it coming. Uh as a kid, I remember being in kindergarten. I, I went to a strict Baptist private school for the first couple of years of, of my schooling and in there they uh they had a few like Christmas programs and I always wanted to sing as like a little child and um, I always told him I can sing I can sing this thing but only the kids whose parents were really involved in like PTA and stuff ever got the parts and I always got denied and I was like well, I can sing and trust me and I think my parents were kind of skeptical for the longest time too and then when I got into middle school I started to show some promise as far as you know classical music started singing and my parents were pretty proud my my dad was actually a classical singer I mean amazing classical singer and um that that seemed to be the route i was going to go um for the first part of high school and i ended up going to this place called the south carolina governor school for the arts and humanities and um i got accepted into it uh it's on an audition basis it's a residential high school and i got accepted into there my senior year and i went and i trained and did my high school work as well they had professional um vocal coaches there i trained for a while and I just, honestly, I just really wasn't digging the environment. It just wasn't my thing. It was very artsy-fartsy, which is totally fine for a lot of people. I just felt out of place. So I came back with my tail tucked between my legs, and I didn't know what I was going to do. I was just getting ready to go to college, I guess, for architecture. And uh, then uh, Seth and Spencer, um, it was actually my friend Cody, who told me to talk to them. He he said, hey, these you know guys are looking for... Um, uh, a singer and uh so i went hit him up and they're like well come to our garage after school and uh we'll jam a couple things we have a few songs that are kind of halfway written but just come over and just 
sing what you want over them. And so I went over and started singing and, you know, that whole ship sailed. And when I decided that I was going to do it, you know, you know, as a career and that's the path I wanted to take, my parents were definitely more than skeptical uh, of it. They were a little concerned if anything. And, uh, but I think after about the first year and a half, two years, when they had come to a couple of shows and seen some of the turnout we got and kind of how the crowds reacted to us and that, you know, maybe there was a living to be made off of this. They became my biggest supporters. And I mean, to this day, I mean, they're, they're nothing but supportive anymore. I mean, or nothing but supportive uh, all the time. And so I think that's a real blessing because a lot of people don't get that. A lot of musicians get shamed out of it, you know, and that's really unfortunate, but, Luckily, I've been blessed, and we've all been blessed to have very supportive family. Well, Aaron, it's been a blast talking with you, having this conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know you, getting to know the band, and hearing uh, the amazing uh, kidnap story that <laughs> uh, you know you you, uh, you told me. So, uh, thanks again for doing this. I do appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it, man. Tell everybody where they can find you. You can find uh, you can find. Anything Seven Year Witch related at sevenyearwitch.com or on any of our so- any social media platform at Seven Year Witch. Just check us out. We're always updating. Awesome. Thanks again, Aaron. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Me podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay strong, take care of each other, and we will talk again soon. Thanks. <laughs>want from our birth control. But what about what's in our birth control? That's why I chose the 100% hormone-free Paragard intrauterine copper contraceptive. It's the only birth control that uses just one simple active ingredient to prevent pregnancy over 99% of the time with no hormones and no daily routines. Paragard is a small IUD that prevents pregnancy for up to 10 years using copper. Ready to get what you want? Talk to your healthcare provider to see if Paragard could be right for you. Don't use if you have a pelvic infection, including PID, get infections easily, certain cancers, Wilson's disease, or a copper allergy. Pregnancy is rare but can be life-threatening and cause infertility or loss of pregnancy. Paragard may attach to or go through the uterus. Tell your healthcare provider if you miss a period, have abdominal pain, or it comes out. At first, periods may become heavier and longer with spotting in between. 
It won't protect against HIV or STDs. For product information or to learn more, visit ParaGuard.com. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.